All right. Good morning, Hillcrest family. Oh, man, good to see you guys. Um, so a, a little update here as we jump in. Um, thank you for your continued generosity uh, with your time, your treasure, your talent around here uh, to our Hillcrest family. Uh, we just wrapped up this three uh, fireside chat, Building God's Way update. And uh, you guys could be praying. Um, uh, an elder and myself, we're going to go meet with uh, the farmer tomorrow. Um, and so you could pray for God's favor, for, for the farmer's favor, and for God's continued hand as we move forward. Um, and exploring purchasing some of the acres to uh, the uh, east here. So um, it was great to just hear uh, our community and some of the needs and our desire to have a more cohesive master campus plan to be a hub for gospel proclamation and then uh, steward this gift of this investment in the next generation. And then uh, you guys are aware Easter is right around the corner. And, uh, and so next week is Palm Sunday. We are continuing in Luke. Uh, we're going to look at John the Baptist asking if Jesus really is the Messiah, the King. And so not your traditional um, uh, entrance, <laughs> and yet a Palm Sunday just the same. And then we will look at uh, feasting at the table. We're going to look at a Pharisee and a woman who both sit and eat and have varying responses to who Jesus is. And, uh, and an unlikely hero emerges, and we're going to get to celebrate uh, and feast this Easter. And then following Easter, there is a guest speaker coming up that will continue in Luke uh, and share the parable of the sower. And really excited for, uh, for him to join us following Easter. And then the question we've been asking, and I hope you've heard this, what's shaping you? Uh, we, we look around and we're, we're bombarded with so many things, so many voices that would love to shape us. <laughs> uh, this individualistic culture, our consumeristic culture, a, a culture that would crave security and comfort. And so what, what is shaping us? I hope around here we say we're anchored in the text, that we long to hear from God through his word, to, to think biblically about everything and, and develop, develop a, a theological grid for how we live life in this uh, accelerating culture, to have cultural discernment, to wisely navigate an accelerating complex culture. And so uh, following Easter, that Easter season, we're going to do a four-week series uh, trying to answer this question. Sexuality is a fundamental part of what it means to be human in a world that is obsessed with sex. Ought the church have something to say? And so on April 23rd, Sunday evening, we're going to do four Sunday evening sessions just trying to think through this idea as we're faced with cultural shifts around human sexuality. Our heart is to demonstrate Jesus' love and compassion without agreement. And so we've designed a four-week Sunday evening, April 23rd, 30th, May 7th. We'll take a break and do a personal assessment, send home, and then a final session on May 21st trying to tackle these three primary ideas that we desire to patiently teach and guide those who are still developing their own convictions on the Christian faith. If you're unsure what Jesus says about human sexuality, if you're still trying to understand what the text says, this would be a great time to explore that, to, to navigate that, to wrestle through that. Uh, second, we desire to develop, empower, and release everyday missionaries to live out and lovingly stand for this truth. If, if you're trying to figure out what, what would it look like 
to more lovingly stand in the sphere I'm planted uh, for the hope, the truth, the joy, the gospel around human sexuality, uh, this, this would be a great thing to explore. And then third, we desire to love and support those who are wrestling with their own sexuality, walking alongside them as they pursue life with Jesus. And so we just assume we're all wrestling, we're all tempted, we're all uh, challenged, heterosexuality, homosexuality, gender fluid, trying to find life in Christ. And so wherever someone might be struggling, we, we hope we get to come alongside and, and be a conduit of God's grace and point uh, others to more life in Christ. And so if one of these three resonates, I'd encourage you, April 23rd, uh, Sunday night, a little more uncut and raw than maybe what we typically do on a Sunday, just trying to understand God's design, God's heart around human sexuality. And so you can text TABLE to 888-824-1608 if you have a question or something that you might be wrestling with or a thought or an idea that you'd love uh, discussed in those forums. So would love, would love to see some responses just like we did with the teachings of the King, all with this in mind. God, help me to listen closely to your teachings so they reshape and renew me to know your truth in whatever you're inviting me into today. So if you've been with us, we've been in Luke, and, and the theme, the, the idea, the driving idea has been have certainty. Increase certainty. He, he says to Theophilus, oh, Theophilus, that I write these things to you, this orderly account that you would have certainty in what you've been taught about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished. And so we saw, starting in chapter four, this here about this kingdom. Jesus arrives uh, in the temple and, and begins unrolling the scroll of Isaiah 61 and, and begins saying, I'm doing these miracles as, as a call to say, hear this kingdom, that this is what my kingdom is. And then he begins to share on the Sermon on the Plain. Luke records the Sermon on the Plain about this kingdom. This morning, we're going to hear two stories about seeing the kingdom displayed through a centurion and Jesus' pursuit of a widow. And so, uh, around here, we just open up the text, we read it, and then try and apply it. So, we're in Luke 7. I'm going to read 17 verses. So, bear with us as we jump in. Uh, and again, on your iPad, your iPhone, your Bible, or if you just want to sit and hear these words wash over you, that is entirely your prerogative. Luke 7. After he had finished all these sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent him elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And then when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him for he loves our nation. And he is the one who built our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come. And he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And he turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great town, a crowd went with him. 
And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, the casket, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave to him his mother, gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us. And God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding countrysides. So here's where we're headed this morning. Luke constructs this pair of miracles to tell us something, to demonstrate Jesus is the fulfillment of the hopes of Israel. And it ideally then leads to this increased certainty in who Jesus is, both who he is with infinite power and extraordinary compassion. That he is amazed at this man's faith and then moved with grief for this widow. So pray with me and we will, uh, we will dive in together. God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, your work in our lives, uh, the circumstances that might be uh, weighing on us today. Uh, we believe you hear them and, uh, and you want to step into them. And so may these stories reveal uh, your kingdom. May we see your kingdom a little bit more fully through the centurion and the widow. Thank you, Jesus, for your glory. Amen. Amen. So, Here's, here's where we're starting, and, and there's only two times in the Gospels where we see Jesus is amazed, and the other times in Mark where he's amazed at their unbelief. In this particular case, he's amazed at the belief of the centurion. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. So we're asking, what were these things that caused Jesus to marvel at what the centurion said? And so it starts here, I think. There's this value of authority. There's this value of authority. Here's what we see in the centurion. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick at the point of death. And so this centurion is going to teach us something. As an authority figure, he will help us figure out what authority is. Uh, he has a servant. And he loved this servant. Here's how Luke records it. Now, a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death who was highly valued by him. This wouldn't be normal. The, the, the centurion wouldn't have any regard potentially for those uh, servants in his care. And yet, for this particular servant, we see this deep affection. He cares deeply, deeply valued, not in terms of monetary, you, but you should hear that value as personal and intimate, who was highly valued by him. And then we see... This centurion loves his subjects. We see that in the response these civic leaders tell Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded. Go back up, verse 3, sorry. When the centurion heard about Jesus, he sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him. Why? For he loves our nation. Though he's a Gentile, though he's a Roman, and we're oppressed by this Roman civilization, instead, this guy loves our nation. And he is the one who built our synagogue, the one Jesus most likely was teaching at. And, and so we see this deep love for his servant, 
a deep care for the community he's planted in. And then he loves submission. An interesting idea. Here's what we read. And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far off from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me, a hundred. So a centurion over a hundred soldiers. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And so we see this centurion recognizing authority, and there's three. There's three people that seem to be interacting that start to stir up in my heart, those who are suffering. We see the servant of the centurion, and, and would he have wanted to go to Jesus himself? I'm sure, and yet he can't. Why? Because it's as if the doctor said, there's nothing else I can do for you. <laughs> he is on his deathbed. Is there someone in your life that, that is just so deeply intimate that you care for so much that, uh, <laughs> that you long for them to be healed, you long for them to be restored? Those who are suffering, maybe you look at your own circumstances and, uh, and think, man, Jesus, I, I, I wish you would just step in and heal these circumstances. Second, we see those civic leaders. And I, I, I find it always interesting with this response. They think Jesus owes them. Because what was their reasoning for wanting Jesus to heal the centurion's servant? Jesus, he's a good man. Look what he's done for us. <laughs> So often that feels like the way our world operates is if you do this for me, or religious people specifically, if you do this, then you get this. If I've not done something good for God, he probably won't like me. If I do something good for God, then he will like me. And it becomes this debtor's ethic relationship. God owes you. And yet, what do we understand about what God owes us? He owes us one thing. Death and damnation. (laughs) He didn't owe us anything other than death and an eternity apart from him. And yet, by his grace, he reconciles us to himself. I don't want to go before God and say, you owe me because there's only one thing he owes me. Instead, I want to plead at his feet for more grace and say, it's only by your son, Jesus Christ, that I can have eternal life with you. And so some people, maybe you're still wrestling with Jesus owes you something. The third category, this value of authority, those who might even be in this room who maybe are like the centurion, a moral guy and yet without faith. He's a good dude. (laughs) His life hasn't been hit by some kind of trauma. Personally, his servant has, but he personally, a fairly affluent guy, successful guy, he he himself seems like an upstanding man, moral Highly valued in this community and yet without faith. And so there's a recognition though of what he does. What does he recognize? Feels like our culture bristles against being under authority. We want to be individuals. (laughs) We don't want to be under anyone. And yet what the centurion says and recognizes is that there is someone for whom I need to be under. And he recognized the value of authority and the power of the author for whom he puts himself under. We often talk about there's only room for one on the throne of our hearts. There's only room for one to sit on that throne. But we vie for that authority. 
in our culture feels like it bristles at this concept, the value of authority. And then Jesus recognizes there is none like this even in Israel. Here's what he says. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. What things did he hear? Someone who was willing to say, go for it, Tom. Come on, his faith. That's what he says. He marvels. There's no one's faith. There's no one who's willing to put themselves under this level of authority. And turning to the crowd, he said, I'll tell you, not even any in Israel I found with such faith. Like Tom said, this faith that says there's only one to sit on the throne of my heart. And I love what the centurion says, but say the word, Jesus. (laughs) I know you have this authority, but say the word. Do we believe that level of authority exists in the person and work of Christ? Just say the word, Jesus. And then second, this totally reliable but never predictable Savior. He says this about what the healing, what healing had taken place. And when those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. We don't get to know exactly what transpired or what Jesus said. All we know is they went home. And this is now Jesus healing from a distance. <laughs> totally reliable. Never quite predictable in how that healing or transformation is exactly going to take place. We see the value of authority and the power of the author through the story of the centurion. And I can't help but think this. So test this, but this is just the commentary that goes on in my head. So often it feels like we put people in two categories. We say there's either the Christians or the non-Christians. And then as soon as one of the Christians with a fish bumper sticker drives like a maniac, the non-Christians go, see, those Christians aren't all that good. What do they have? And rather... What we see in the centurion and we see Jesus' interaction with the centurion isn't the Christians and the non-Christians, but rather the way we talk it around, around here, we're just a bunch of beggars that have found some bread and we want to share it with everyone. There's, there's an equal playing field all under the authority of the Savior. It's just that some have come to recognize we are under that authority and others have yet to treasure Christ. I'm the eternal optimist, always hoping that someone would come to this realization and say, I need Jesus as the authority in my life. The value of authority. I was driving just around the roundabout just the other day and I saw someone cut me off and I'm like, who's cut me off? Oh, Jesus bumper sticker. There we go. It's fantastic. Uh, It's just, it's it's why maybe I don't put that on my bumper sticker. So when I cut someone off, they don't go, oh, that's one of those Christians. Rather, all, all equal under the authority of Christ. The value of authority and the power of the author. The centurion says, just say the word, Jesus. And then we see a second story that's just as provocative. Jesus is amazed by the centurion's faith. And then we see an incredible demonstration of compassion, an extraordinary demonstration of compassion where Jesus is moved by grief. And it's, and it's, uh, and it's with this widow. And so I, I want you guys to try and maybe picture in your mind, uh, it's this widow who has just lost her, her son. And... Uh, and I don't know uh, if you can remember the, uh, the first funeral you attended. I, I can't remember the first funeral I, I attended, but I can uh, remember the first funeral that, that is vivid in my mind. Um, it was uh, my fifth and sixth grade Sunday school teacher, uh, Miss Spaka. And uh, I remember uh, her losing her hair, battling cancer. Um, her daughter was similar age as me. 
And um, again, just getting emotionally invested in this second story for me, um, if you can put yourself there in, in that moment, that first funeral you went to. And I remember her passing away, and, and it was an open casket. And uh, just the weeping and, and, uh, and, and distraught nature of those in the room, um, because the nature with, with, uh, with circumstances, it was a realization for me, death, death is painful. It was the first time for me that I came to that realization in fifth or sixth grade. Death is painful, and what often precedes death is suffering. And sometimes that suffering is unexpected, and yet the inevitable outcome, uh, death, <laughs> death, death comes for us all. And so just as we think of this, this widow, Jesus is in Capernaum, and he travels 20 miles to Nain. And this town is the only time it's mentioned in the New Testament. And uh, just, it's a nothing, nowhere town, 20 miles from Capernaum, six miles from Nazareth. And, um, and Jesus deliberately goes there a day, maybe a couple days journey. And, and what does he find? <laughs> Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And, and what do they find? They find this widow. As they drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. So they stumble into or intentionally stop in on this funeral procession. And the only son of his mother, she was a widow and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So what does that mean when you read those words, the only son of his mother and she was a widow? What does that mean? Ah, she's alone. I mean, she just buried her husband probably a few years earlier and now is burying her only son. As a woman in that society, what does that mean for her? Man, she's going to be completely isolated, completely alone. There's no provision for her. That this, this is now complete distraught circumstances. She's just absolutely wrecked. <laughs> and I just, I just feel this about our world, right? Our world is wrecked. <laughs> our, our world is burdened with so much hurt and despair and grief. Maybe you're sitting in this room and you're just wrecked with some circumstantial reality that's hitting your life right now. The only son of his mother and she was a widow and a considerable crowd of the town was with her. She buried her husband. She's about to bury her only son, deeply grieved, and yet I love this detail that is included. She's not the one that pursues. She's not the one that requests. It's actually Jesus that pursues her. Because this reality floors me every time. Jesus pursues wrecked people. <laughs> He's the one pursuing the lost. You're not here because somehow you're pursuing Jesus exclusively. Jesus is pursuing you. That's why you're in this room. It's our Savior. It's our Lord. He is the one that pursues the lost and the wrecked. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, in her deep anguish and her deep pain, don't weep. Do not weep. What do you mean, don't weep? <laughs> don't you see my circumstance? Don't you see the reality I'm in? And then he says these words. He came up and he touched the beer, the casket, and he said to the young man, I say to you, arise. 
that Jesus moved from Capernaum to Nain to teach us something and to teach this woman something about seeing the kingdom in real time. That Jesus is the pursuer and Jesus touches dead people and brings life. That Jesus is the one that brings healing and touches the dead and brings life. A young man, I say to you, arise. And an appropriate response, fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Fear seized them all. And so we're seeing these two stories that Luke ties together. But much more than Luke just tying two beautiful stories of healing together, there's actually so much more for us. Why does Luke construct this pair of miracles? Because we see seemingly opposite realities. The centurion is one of more influential people in Capernaum with money, authority, and power. And the centurion is at the top of the social scale, whereas the widow was virtually nameless and powerless with no money, no family, no one to care for her. The widow being at the bottom, but these two realities draw them together. Both are forced to throw themselves completely on the mercy of Jesus and both feel the effects of his incredible power. But Luke's doing something beautiful here. What's, what's Luke's purpose in writing to Theophilus again? To have certainty. And so as great Old Testament scholars, we look back and we see Jesus referenced two Old Testament stories in Luke 4. Two great prophets because fear seized them and they proclaim a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. Jesus referenced that a few chapters earlier. He said there were two prophets, Elijah and Elisha, that did very similar healings of all the military leaders, Elijah or Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum the Syrian. And Elijah was sent to none of those uh, with famine other than one widow in Zarephath. I'm sure there were widows in Israel, but he was sent to a Gentile widow in the land of Sidon in 1 Kings 17 and 2 Kings 5. What is Luke doing? He's tying that Jesus is the ultimate priest, prophet, and king. He is the long-awaited Messiah. You can't have certainty that this is the guy. Next week, John the Baptist is going to question, Jesus, are you the guy? Luke's trying to tell us you can have certainty. God has come to help us in a world of despair and weakness. And Jesus' words brings hope and power. And our certainty increases when we have a high view of Jesus and a clear, more accurate picture of ourselves. We ought to be under his authority. And so I have a few takeaways this week to try and encourage you. And then actually make room to pray for one another. And so here's, here's where I, I hope we see there's a powerful reality, believe in Jesus' authority. Do you believe Jesus owes you? Or do you believe that he has the authority? Just say the word, Jesus. And whatever the circumstances are that I'm afflicted by could be healed. Just say the word. And sometimes he says yes, no, or wait. 
But do we believe Jesus' authority to just say the word? And then, do we look at life through Jesus' authority? What's shaping us? Do we look through this grid of of his authority as we look through the circumstances of life? And so, I'm going to encourage us, looking at life through Jesus' authority produces that humility we saw in the centurion. And so I have three encouragements for what that genuine humility can continue to look like as it gets expressed in our lives. It's first, an accurate, glorious, awe-inspiring view of Jesus. You guys know March Madness is happening right now? (laughs) All the number one seeds, my entire bracket just shattered. (laughs) But even more than March Madness... An accurate, glorious, awe-inspiring view of Jesus. It's what I love about the centurion. Sometimes it feels like Christianity is for women and children. And yet, the most masculine of men, a centurion, understands that he needs to put himself under the authority of King Jesus. (laughs) What else did he need? He didn't need anything else. And yet, he came to the realization of an accurate, glorious, awe-inspiring view of Jesus. And then an accurate, grateful, joy-producing view of ourselves as children of God. Not that God owes us, but rather, out of an abundance of grace, he changed our lives. And then third, an accurate, grieving, stirring view of the needs of others that motivates us to happily serve them with the hope that they might experience what we enjoy with God. Did the widow request help? Verbally, the cries of our heart sure felt like it. But instead, Jesus pursued her wrecked life. Do we exhibit that same passionate, genuine humility to pursue those? Not as Christian or non-Christian, but rather those who have recognized their need and are pursuing a Savior. And so, we pray this, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. God, help me to listen closely to your teachings so they reshape and renew me to know your truth in whatever you invite me into today. So we're going to do something maybe a little different. And and, and I'm going to encourage us to pray for one another in a a little bit. And and you might be thinking, I thought I came for a singing and teaching event. (laughs) I'm just here for the music, David. Uh, But I just assume... There's challenges that are are, uh, wrecking our lives or there's people in our life that we desperately want to experience this healing that Jesus offers. Physical healing, potentially, but ultimately spiritual healing is what he offers. And so so in a second, I'm actually going to ask if you want prayer that you'd stand where you are at and that the people of God would come around you and pray for you. Not that you would share what's going on in your life, but you'd simply stand demonstrating a desire to be prayed for and that those around you would trust that God's speaking in and through their heart and mind to pray words over you. Because our conviction, one of the values around here is desperate and dependent prayer. (laughs) That that we long for God to to act. (laughs) And so we pray for him to move. And so if if you want someone to pray for you, I'd ask that you'd stand at this moment. Ah, thank you. Thank you. Ah, for the circumstances that might be going on. 
And in a second, I'll ask you guys to look around and, and find someone that you'd come around. Anyone else that you just want prayer for this morning? So if you're willing, if someone has stood around you, I'd encourage you to just go surround them at this time. And I'm going to pray and then encourage you to pray over those lives that you're standing next to. So if you're willing, if the people of God, because we're a church, right? <laughs> Not just the singing and teaching event. <laughs> But if you'd be willing to stand and just go surround those people, there's someone in the back, a couple people in the back. And I'll pray for us, and then I'd encourage you to pray for those that you're standing next to. God, you are so good. We come humbly before you, knowing we need you. Just say the word, Jesus, and we're convinced that you can heal. So we're going to ask with desperate dependence for whatever circumstance that we might be wrecked by in this moment that you will uh, enter in and give us more confidence, more certainty that you are at work in our lives. If you'd pray for the person you're surrounding. about one more minute. Jesus, you are the ultimate healer. May we continue to pray with desperate dependence. If you're seated, that you might be praying for those around you as well. Thank you, Jesus. We cry with desperate dependence for you to move, to hear our cries. Just say the word, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for all the work you do in our lives. Amen. Stand with me as we continue to worship together.